I'm David Poyser, a journalist, and welcome to the 12th episode of PezPod, the insider's guide to the Pez network made for European Pez. We've talked a lot about unemployment in these podcasts, but today, instead, we're going to talk about labour shortage. It's a problem across Europe, obviously in some countries more than others, and in some sectors more than others. Luckily, today I'm with Dr. Tina Weber from Eurofound, the EU-funded Europe-wide employment research organisation based in Dublin. Tina's written recent reports on this and has contributed to the recent PES Network conference on this. Hi, Tina, are you there? Hi, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. And I'm also with Håkon Hertzberg from the Norwegian PES, and he has to solve these issues on the ground in his job in the Norwegian PES. Are you there, Håkon? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. So, Tina, first of all, could you give us a sort of overview? I think it's more the construction sectors and the health sector. Is that right? Um, Well, labour shortages um, have been a problem for quite some time. In fact, um, after the last recession, so after 2008, and starting from around 2013, this has become an increasing problem in a number of sectors and occupations. Um, you know, a lot of sectors have shut down. This problem has gone away. But in fact, in, in a number of sectors like healthcare, like ICT, where demand increased during the pandemic, um, the problem has only become worse. And now as we're emerging from the pandemic, um, there are sectors that suffered from labor shortages prior to COVID that um, are experiencing even greater shortages now. And there are some where the problem maybe wasn't so significant, where things are getting worse now uh, for, for a number of reasons that I'm sure we can talk about. And that's the um, the problem. That's the easy bit in a sense, isn't it? What about the solutions? I think the Romanians have had some success. Is that right? And I think the Germans in the health sector. Um, yeah, the, the solutions. I think the, the important thing that you have to bear in mind when you're developing solutions is you have to really understand what are the drivers of, of the labor shortage. So um, in, in the healthcare sector, you talked about Romania. Um, we are currently in the process of doing a, a new study which looks at policy measures that, um, well, and, and whether they work or not in different countries. And there's one policy that was implemented in Romania because there was a really significant shortage of both doctors and nurses, with the main problem being that um, people that were being trained in Romania then went to work elsewhere. Uh, because they were able to command higher salaries elsewhere. And this could be measured through uh, the number of applications for um, the possibility to have your qualifications recognized abroad. So what they brought in was a, a significant pay increase. Um, and as a result of that, there was an immediate drop-off uh, in the number of applications of doctors wishing to work abroad so 
obviously not everyone can afford this kind of measure uh, in Romania the, the the starting point uh, for salaries in the healthcare sector was relatively low but they took that step and it it appeared to have had a, a real impact and I think very close to you, is this right, in Dublin, the Irish PES has had some success in matching the long-term unemployed and getting jobs for them, is uh, that right? Yes, there, there's a real problem uh, in Ireland in the construction sector. Um, there was a real construction boom for a period then when there was the Celtic Tiger crash uh, and a lot mm. of construction stopped for, for a number of years. But then um, uh, lots of building programs, both private and public, started up again. And it was very difficult to find uh, employees, uh, skilled workers and unskilled workers in the construction sector. And um, particularly in the centre of Dublin, uh, the PES worked together with a number of organisations to try and uh, recruit long-term unemployed individuals, including those that might have had additional problems, you know, problems with uh, drug misuse, for example, you know, where they had to get additional support uh, to be able to be reintegrated into work. And that appears to have worked quite well. Um, although, obviously, some shortages... So they work with the drug misuse agencies? Uh, yes, there's a, a collaboration between PES and, and, and similar agencies there that um, seems to have worked for them quite well. So, Harkon, I think that's a wonderful introduction to you. You've had success in Norway, haven't you, with NEETS? The, that's the jargon, isn't it, for typically young people not in employment, education or training. Is that yes. right? Yes, we have. So... We uh, work closely with the needs in two different ways. In supported employment, that is a way of working with the needs uh, that we are using a lot of resources on the one candidate and, and finding his motivation, going into a close cooperation with employers to, to secure a more long-term relationship to the uh, labour market. And the other one is with needs with psychological problems. We have individual placement system where we cooperate closely with the health sector and, and um, combine bringing them into active labour market measures with uh, healthcare in the healthcare system and, and treating them for the uh, psychological uh, issues they, they may have. So what do you think, Hakan, because um, people have been working with NEETS for the last, at least the last 20 years, it's been the big political thing, and you've yeah. had some success, but it sounds like you've had to put in extra resources. Can you go to government and ask for extra resources or have you done it without extra resources? No, uh, you have to you have to use a lot of resources, <laughs> and, and you can say, and uh, and it's easy to say that uh, in Norway you can always use your pension fund and 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 your wealth to to fix this. But I think it, what we have learned, we have also used a lot of resources on labor market measures that have been um, cheaper, you could say, but but they have had almost no uh, success. So we have a lot of people outside the labor market in Norway because of health issues. 
and we see that getting these groups into labor market you really need to use a lot of uh, resources in the beginning and you have to uh, follow them up quite tightly in the the starting of a career and you have to keep on looking after them when they are included part of the labor market yes and do you have any data on that whether or not they actually stay in the jobs is that a typical yeah. problem tina that oh sorry you, yeah how come no, we do. So, so we see that the more resources you put into these to these needs and the cooperation with uh, different actors uh, in society, the more sustainable the labour market connection will will be. Is that typical? Do you think, uh, Tina? Um, yeah, I think what what Hakon says is very interesting because um, in the study that we did, we actually tried to classify the kind of measures that you can adopt to tackle labor shortages. And we came up with uh, three types of measures. And what he's talking about falls very neatly into one of those. So our three are attracting labor activating underutilized resources and enhancing the use of existing labor and what Hakan was just describing very much falls into this bracket of activating underused resources and it's it's really true that you you tend to have to invest uh, a lot and not just at the beginning but to make sure that uh, people who often have not worked for a very long time uh, maintain that attachment to the labor market because it's, um, you know, just the, the, the basic st- skills that you need to kind of function on a daily basis, mm. Just, mm. getting up and going yeah. to work and, um, you know, understanding how to learn and to keep learning uh, once you're in work is very important. I, I was also interested, if, if I may say, in what you said about the fact that you have um, data about their continued attachment to the labor market, because what we are finding in, in this study that we're doing at the moment on effective or ineffective measures that have been introduced is that it can actually be really difficult to to get good data. Uh, We're finding that uh, what tends to be measured is the number of people that are going through a particular program. Maybe, you know, within six months, you know, are they still attached Mm. to the labor market within three to six months? But after that, there's often very, very little data. And I think that that's a real shame and kind of a a need for more longitudinal and an ongoing evaluation of these programs to see what is really working. I don't know. Would you agree, Hakan? Is that something that you Absolutely. do in Norway? Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, uh, we have a difficulty tracking these people when they are not where it's not legally uh, based to to follow them after they have no connection to the uh, the pests but what we see we can we can follow them because we have an interaction with them through a longer period of time just as i said that we have to uh, get them into a job but say that we we want to talk to you uh, and follow you up sometime in six months and, and one year and, and one and a half year. And then you can also have very valuable data on these uh, on these people. 
So what do you think, Harkin? Do you think that's the... Is it, do you think it will be easier for other countries? Obviously, in Norway, I think the NAV, you have very good relations with government. But you have the long-term unemployed in many, many countries, and you've had some solution. Is there any sort of arguments people can use with government? Yes, but something that is very important is also that we, we wouldn't be able to do this without good relations with the private partners and, and uh, the labor market and employers. So I would say that on the state side, it's sustainable to, to use a lot of money once and then you will have them into labor market on a, a, on a longer basis. But the best way to do this is also to to have a good uh, relations with employers and get the employers also to see that if if we invest in this we will also secure our uh, lack of uh, competence is that a general pattern across europe tina yeah i I was going to chime in with that actually because um this partnership with employers is so important on 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 many different levels actually first of all it's important to get their input into deciding and constantly updating the curriculum requirements um, oh. mm. at different levels of education obviously particularly vocational education but also um, university and, and to some extent what is taught in schools and I think we find that in countries where this this involvement maybe not just of employers but also of social partners more generally in curriculum development is quite strong that tends to work better and then what you say Hocken about um the relationship between PES and employers, I, I would agree with you that this is very important. Quite a number of PES actually even develop specific training programs uh, for specific employers, or they yes. help a number of smaller employers that tend to find it more difficult to source the relevant training for them because they don't have the economies of scale. The public mm -hmm. employment service can also play a role there in bringing them together. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, to have this kind of good relationship um, in terms of matching, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there, yes. there are lots of very interesting examples of PES organizing well, you could call it speed dating almost. I think it used to be called that once upon <laughs> a time. A you know, yeah. bringing yeah. bringing um, job seekers together with employers. You know, kind of one day where they can meet lots of people. Uh, that yes. that that is really important. And then finally, and then I, I will be quiet. <laughs> um, I think the other thing that's really important in integrating people is not just the theoretical education and training, but the work placement element, because it's often Absolutely. there that yeah. the individual mm -hmm. then finds their future employer, and that mm -hmm. is best mm -hmm. done through close collaboration with employers. Absolutely. I think that would be a lovely idea, Tina, if we relabeled all the government employment agencies as speed dating agencies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, as you talk about the speed date, it's also we, we also have uh, uh, our policies to, uh, as you said, to prioritize our uh, efforts 
towards work which can give the best possible effect or result. So we have uh, really a f- framework to developed to segment the three different levels of service from the NAV for employers. Uh, and the first one is the self-serviced partners, the digital services. Right, the NAV, that, that's the Norwegian Employment Agency, isn't it? The NAV. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, carry and, on. Sorry. Uh, for some. Yeah, well, that's okay. Uh, we have the self-service partners that we have uh, uh, o- only offer digital services. And there are a lot of things that we can do on the digital services to matching and make that as easy as possible. And there are the extended service partners, the enterprises who have accepted an invitation from us to focus on inclusion and adapted services within their workplace. And there are also enterprises dealing with seasonal recruitments where digital services are not adequate or sufficient. And we have the the last partner that, that Tina also talked about, the strategic partners, enterprises with the most complex needs, for example, cornerstones enterprises in smaller places or large companies with uh, with offices several places in Norway and with the need for more long-term recruitment strategies. Uh, I would say that the, the, the overall best insurance, uh, you could say, against future lack of competences is to uh, cooperate closely with the, uh, as Tina said, the educational authorities in order to make sure that young people successfully complete their upper secondary school and to make sure the need for candidates within vocational training is secured. So I think um, we're running out of time. So just what do you both think in terms of other PESs? What are the sort of lessons they can learn about um the future in terms of labour shortage? I think what I find particularly important, and Hocken has also mentioned it, is, is to be aware of the kind of skills that, that are going to be needed in future. Um, yeah. And, well, what, what I find quite striking, because we talk so much about, you know, digitalization and uh, green jobs and the need for green skills. And, we you know, we've tried to look into this and it's maybe a bit more evident in relation to digitalization. But when you look at green jobs, green skills, I still find that there is maybe not so much knowledge out there yet or it's an area that is still developing to know you know what are really the Mm. precise skills and 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 capacities that are going to be needed um you know distinguishing between what is really uh immediately obviously a green job you know for example in the renewable Mm. sector Mm. and green skills that you might need uh, in in all kinds of employment, so this is where I think more more work is needed. And when I followed the the PES conference, I was particularly struck by those organisations that work now with data mining. You know, looking at uh, vacancy notifications to see what is it really that employers are looking for and trying to harness that to help them mm. to develop their service offer. And it seems to me that 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 is a little bit where the future lies, you know, together with the collaboration with the different partners that we've already talked about. Yes, I, I would agree. 
on that and uh, but would like to uh, add one thing that I think it's is important uh, in tackling this shortages and that is I think we have to talk more about uh, that maybe the society and and employers are are too greedy on what uh, what they can uh, really uh, which people they can really uh, use when people are today being asked for diplomas and their academic background before they are going into a work in a supermarket or, or, or do washings uh, toilets i yeah. think that is a big uh, big question do everyone has to have so high skilled Yes. No, that's, that's interesting. So part of it, so it's employers, it's a lot of, yes, it's employers, the pairs, the governments, everybody has to, education, as Tina says, we all have to work together. Any final thought, Tina? Um, no, I was I was just having a thought there when Hakun was speaking about what uh, what employers uh, demand and, and whether it's, you know, the, the, the expectations are too high. I mean, what, what you also find in, in, in the reverse is that everyone now wants to go to university, you know, yes. and, and you yes. also hear that, you know, sometimes it's even the parents, the peer group, you know, that are yeah. pushing everyone, you know, if you don't go to university, you know, you haven't had that rite of passage and, you know, maybe you can't get a, a good job at the end of it. I think what what we need to market again is that vocational qualifications can actually yes. lead to to an incredibly fruitful career. So I think that's mm. you know it may be the other side of the spectrum of what you were talking about, Hakan, for uh, the the young people's expectations themselves, yes. and you know wh- where they see themselves, but also how certain sectors and occupations maybe not don't market themselves as well as they might as as attractive places to work with good career opportunities and to the other side has there been a great resignation you know this great phrase in america they talk about since covid there's been a great resignation has that been a pattern across europe tina um i i would question that i have to say Uh, we're actually in in the process here at eurofound of implementing a a research project on this but the initial findings seem to be that 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 is not really the case but maybe uh, from the coal face as you say david maybe hakun can uh, speak to that whether it's a pattern that he is seeing this great resignation, Hakon, have you seen it? It's a big American journalism phrase, but I don't think it's yeah on the ground, is it? No, I think it's a, it's a quite difficult question because it's troubled times, but we see in Norway that there are a lot of uh, vacancies and and a lot of uh, optimism in, in the uh, in the economy. So so I wouldn't say so, but it's it has been a very challenging period. It's difficult to to see the future these days. That's a lovely way to finish. Thanks so much, Hawken, in Norway. And thanks to you, Tina, Dr. Weber, in Dublin. Thanks very much. Well, we're hoping this podcast will help build a sense of community in PES networks across Europe. So if you've got any comments on PESPod, on this one or on any other ones, there's an email which I'm going to spell for you, empl-pes-secretariat at ec.europa.eu. So empl-pes-secretariat at ec.europa.eu. 
You can leave comments there. The email is also on the PezPod show notes. So who would you like us to interview? Just email us and tell us. And what would you like us to interview them about? Just email us and say. PezPod is produced for the Pez Network by the European Commission with technical support from Econ Institute. Technical producer is Mark Berta. Looking forward to next time. 